So this woman, her name is Rachel. She was a uh, special ed teacher. She was in her first semester teaching on the job. Uh, she had kids with pretty serious uh, learning disabilities and even more serious emotional issues, behavioral challenges. It was really tough work, uh, objectively tough. All inner city kids, terrible family dysfunction. The job was draining and exhausting, discouraging, very tough, very uphill. This kid, Kyle, was the toughest. He was 10. Nobody could seem to control him. His mother was a drug addict. His father was non-existent. He had scars on his arms and on his back from having been physically abused by boyfriends of the mother. Like pretty horrendous stuff. He'd been in and out of foster care pretty much his whole life. Mom would disappear, then she'd reemerge, then she'd disappear again. It was this sort of like nightmare roller coaster for this kid emotionally. He was just really hurt and angry and lost. And he was 10, you know. That is a 10-year-old that didn't even know how to express those kinds of emotions. So the way he did was, I mean, he couldn't really process it. The way he did was he just crazy outbursts, violence, kind of ugly, out-of-control behavior. Anyway, one day, uh, Rachel, She's planning this field trip. They're going to a park, I think, for the day or part of the day. Because of Kyle's track record, the school says he can't go. He just really can't be trusted. So he flies into a rage. Kyle does when he hears this, screaming and cursing and spitting. He bolts, runs out of the room, runs out of the school. Apparently, this was kind of his M.O., he would just run. Um, runs out into heavy city traffic. Rachel gives chase after him. He runs a couple of blocks, in and out of cars and people. This goes on for a number of blocks, this run. Eventually, he kind of runs out of gas. He's exhausted. And he runs into this uh, parking lot where a drugstore was. And he's like leaning over a, a dumpster, trying to catch his breath. And he looks up and he can't believe what he sees. He sees his teacher 10 yards away, running toward him. He can't believe she's there. He didn't know she was chasing him. He was just running. Soon as she sees that he sees her, she's thinking he's gonna start running again, but he doesn't. According to the teacher, Rachel, she said that she just, they just locked eyes. He just started staring at her and she at him. Within a couple of seconds, the principal's there, a police car is there, and they're taking him away, almost like he would have been arrested or something. They're putting him in the back of the police car. 
sending him for some kind of more psych evaluation. But she said he never took his eyes off her from that moment. He stopped resisting. They're putting him in the car, and he's just doing whatever they say, but he just keeps looking at his teacher. Car pulls away, and he's just turning his head, looking back at her. The next day, she's at school. He's gone now for a couple of days at least. She's in school, and she's talking to a teacher, an older, much more veteran teacher, and she's describing what happened. This teacher very much knows Kyle's situation. She's describing what happened and Kyle's reaction at the end. And then the old teacher says this to the young teacher, Rachel, nobody ever ran after him before. No, they just let him run. And you didn't. You went after him. Well, Kyle eventually returned to school. Right away, he asked if he could be in, his, in her class again. And as the weeks passed, she said he just was uh, at her side constantly, listening, behaving. Nobody ever ran after him before. Could it be that simple? Probably not. Probably more complicated. That's got to be part of it, right? She ran after him. She pursued him. When nobody else did in this little 10-year-old life, nobody ever really seemed to care if he ran away. You know, when I, uh, the, the school I went to as a kid, my grade school, Our Lady of Victory in Floral Park, I grew up like a block and a half away, very close. Because of that, we used to, um, we used to go home for lunch. I tell kids that today and they can't believe it. Like we would go home for lunch for a half hour or 45 minutes and then we'd, we'd come back. When I was in first grade, I have a vague recollection of this. My mom has a very distinct recollection of this. I'd, uh, I'd go to school in the morning, and I'd come home for lunch, and I just didn't want to go back. I just, I just, like, school was good, a half day was good, and I got comfortable with mom, and she made me lunch, and I just wasn't having it. I wasn't, didn't want to go, up, go back. Kindergarten the year before was a half a day. And I guess that's, that's what I wanted. Half a day at school and a half a day with mom. So it was becoming a problem. She'd start to tell me we got to get ready and I'd start flipping out, crying and screaming. I didn't want to go back to school. And I think she let me stay home once or twice and my mom and dad both knew her. I, we can't keep doing this. He's got to go back to school. Anyway, um, she's bringing me back on this particular day, and as I'm getting closer to the school, I'm, I guess, I'm, I don't even remember this part, but mom says I'm just, I was getting more and more anxious. I start crying as we're getting closer to the school, and 
We had to go in, into the schoolyard and up to like the second, these stairs up to the second floor. It's where the, the, the main office is. So we went in. And as I'm getting closer, just as we got to the door, I bolted. I pulled, I pulled away from my mom and I started running down these stairs through the schoolyard, around, back the other way. I probably ran the equivalent of two, two blocks and I was eventually intercepted by a crossing guard. But I was just faster than my mom. She was tearing after me, screaming out, yelling at me to stop and I was just So mom ran after me. I mean, what if she hadn't? I don't really mean in that moment. I mean in the bigger picture. Like what if our moms and dads didn't pursue us when we were scared or in trouble or hurting? What if they didn't chase us? I don't know, like, maybe I'd be looking and walking and talking a lot more like Kyle. If I didn't have anybody chasing after me. This whole notion of being chased or pursued, it's kind of an important one. We hear it like crazy tonight in this gospel. These three parables, it's like a triple header, bam, bam, bam. He's like, every one is pretty much the same point. He just kind of, he just keeps telling different stories, plugging in different characters and different little scenarios, but it's the same story. It's God and us. We get lost, God comes after us. Like, that's the story. Lost sheep, sheep gets lost. The good shepherd leaves the 99, goes looking for the one that's lost. The woman's got these 10 coins in her house, loses one, she's got, she's got nine others. It was the equivalent of a dime. She tears the house apart because she wants to get the one coin back. We're the coin. The mom is God. It's the same story. And then the, the greatest one, maybe the best parable of them all, the prodigal son. God is the father. We're the son who acts like a fool and the father comes running back as soon as the kid shows up from a distance the father goes running out to meet him it's not the father it's God it wasn't a shepherd it's God it wasn't a woman with a coin it's God he, he, he told us three times it's like okay Jesus we get the point wouldn't one parable be, a, parable be enough I guess not Maybe he knew, like, man, we need to hear this. We need to know this. Because there's something within us that doesn't really buy it. I don't think a lot of us think that no matter what, we are loved. No matter what we do. No matter how we screw up. No matter where we go. He will never stop running after us. Ever. We can't earn his love. We don't have to earn his love. Like, we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But I don't think we really buy it. Because we're usually not that way. So often it's sort of like transactional. I'll love you if you love me. 
You show me respect, and I'll, I'll show you some in return. But if you don't, I'm done with you. And maybe we're not that blunt about it, but I think not too deep down, that's kind of where most of us operate. Jesus probably knew it, so he went crazy making this point. We can always come home. There's nothing we can do that's unforgivable. And he will not stop running after us. You know, I'm, I guess uh, the last three days since the queen died, it's been on the news. I got to stop watching it because it's just it's like, all right, it's just too much. It's like, how many variations of this story can we, can we listen to? And I'm not really knocking. It's like, I'm not, I don't want to be, I think it's disrespectful to be knocking a person right after they died. I don't think there's a, I think she seemed like a very decent woman, the queen, from what I'm continuing to be hearing. You have like almost no real criticism. She seemed like a, a very, an object, like a real source of unity for, for many years. Stood for a lot of important values. You know what I can't get, wrap my brain around and I find kind of just weird? though, is the, the royal thing, like the notion of a, of a monarchy, this concept of like, you're a queen just because you were born into this family. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something to get to that point. Like, we just come from a different place, right? Like, we, when we're successful, when we get stuff, it's usually because we've done stuff. But like the royals, it's kind of ridiculous. Princes and princesses and dukes and all these, like, what did you do? Did you ever even make a bed in your life? Like, do, do you, what did you do to, to kind of earn this? I know with me, it's like, I really do, it's part of it's just kind of where I come from, me personally, Brian Barr, I'm, I'm the son of a city fireman. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a middle class guy. And I'm Irish. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, the, the Irish had more than their share of trouble with the crown. And we're American. Same point. We, we said at a certain point, no more. No more bowing to the king. We want our independence. And I'm Catholic. Like, same, same point. So like, I think there's a lot within me that just kind of is like, I don't get it. It's just this, you get this privilege by virtue of your birth. I mean, you know what's interesting what the royals do, and I, this I kind of do buy, like they make certain people knights. Paul McCartney is like Sir Paul, right? Well, he did do something, like he, he's a beetle, like he, he did achieve something. <laughs> Sean Connery, was, was a knight, a, a sir. Like, well, Sean Connery was pretty cool. He achieved something, but Philip and Reginald and all these guys, it's like, what did you do? Other than be born. Here's the irony. While I think that's kind of crazy, God's like that. Not just with the royals, with all of us. Like, in God's eyes, 
we are all royalty. We don't have to earn his love. We don't have to prove anything. He just loves us. He's the good shepherd. He's the father. He's the woman looking for the coin. Listen to this. I was frozen, and you stopped and cried, run, run, run. When I didn't move, you grabbed my hand and pulled me along. I ran with you. We ducked into doorways and dodged the falling debris. We didn't stop until we got to Murray Street and ran around the corner. I turned to look back at Church Street and I let go of your hand, and then you were gone. I don't know your name, I didn't see your face, I couldn't guess at your age, I didn't see your race, I only know you saved my life. Thank you forever. God bless you. Listen to this, I work at 130 Liberty Street across from the World Trade Center. I fell, I fell down while I was running from the collapsing building. A massive cloud came rushing toward us. I couldn't pick myself off the ground because my legs were numb from running down 25 flights of my building. I was buried with ash and debris from the collapsed tower. I thought it was the end of the world. It was so black that you couldn't see your hand in front of your eyes. I thought I was dying because with every breath I took, more ash and debris went down my throat and into my eyes and nose. A stranger tripped over me while I was lying in the darkness on the sidewalk. All of a sudden, I felt a hand pick me up off the ground and drag me into a building to safety. I thank Jesus Christ for my life and for that wonderful stranger. God never stops the pursuit. And when we're at our best, neither do we.